Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Glad to have you with us as we are getting ever so close to the restart of the 2019-2020 season. Los Angeles Clippers will be opening back up against, of course, the Los Angeles Lakers on July 30th. So there'll be one of two games on that first day, and then it will be games galore in Orlando. Days that we see as many as seven games. I believe one day even has eight games on a Sunday. There's going to be a lot of basketball on NBA TV, TNT, ESPN, and of course on Fox Sports Prime Ticket. All of the games in the restart, all eight Clippers games will be on Fox Sports Prime Ticket with Brian Seaman, a guest of this podcast many times. You'll be able to hear him Today's guest is going to be someone you have not heard yet on the Hoopball Clippers podcast, and that is Sabrina Merchant of SB Nation. We've had a couple of SB Nation folks on this podcast before, but it's our first Sabrina Merchant sighting, so she'll be on the podcast today, and we'll talk about the Clippers schedule, the eight games the Clippers have, we'll talk about bubble concerns, and how much we are concerned about the bubble And also, we'll touch a little bit on Paul George getting this apparent hoop and gym sent to his home. We knew that all the Clippers got sent the home gym, and apparently some teams weren't sending hoops to their players. Some weren't allowed. Some we weren't sure. You had players going to play at gyms that maybe they shouldn't have been at, but we'll talk about that as well. But before we get there, I got to tell you guys about something. Are you ready for this one? Support for Hoopball is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Yep, you heard me correctly. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. You've heard about the below-the-belt grooming if you're a man. I mean, you know it for sure, right? Of course, you try to bring out those scissors sometimes, maybe a razor I know, it could be dicey, it could be dicey, you can accidentally snip something, maybe a little bit of bleeding. It happens above the belt too, folks, when you're trying to shave, and then you cut yourself. It's not great, it's happened to me before. Try to use those scissors, and then you bleed, it's it's not good. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer, okay? The Manscaped engineering team spent a grand total of 18 months, you heard me, 18 months, that is a year and a half perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created. And you know what? They just released a new one. And it's more improved than the last one. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced 
skin safe technology. Okay, this, this is an important read. You know why? Because when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. So you can take a long, longer shave. You know, you'll probably take most likely between 5 to 7, 5 to 10. That means you're not going to have to recharge your battery that often. Also, the water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. You heard me. You can take that one in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer, more precise trimming. Okay, if you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off. You heard me. 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and use the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. All right, enough of the manscaping. Let's get into the hooping. It's always great to have a new voice on this podcast. You've heard many different voices over the last several months here on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. But for the first time, we give a big hello to Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, how are you? I'm doing well, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Well, what a time it is. We are very close to basketball being back. The schedule has been released. Good for the NBA, by the way, for making it a thing. Um, We'll talk about the bubble and just basketball being back in general a little bit later on, but the NBA trying to get some momentum and enthusiasm and excitement. And so they do the whole schedule release just like the NFL does. And it seems like it went over pretty well. What was your reaction on the whole big schedule release? I mean, I think my main reaction was that of course they turned Clippers Lakers into opening night Mm -hmm. again for this re-release, even though they weren't, scheduled to play each other in their next eight games. Uh, Kudos to the NBA for figuring out a way to add some excitement to the start of the Orlando games. Not that they would have been lacking anyway, but uh, I mean, it's, it's too perfect, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you have Lakers Clippers that opens things up and then you have Lakers Clippers now that opens things up again. So Mm -hmm. for anyone who has not seen the schedule thus far, July 30th against the Lakers, August 1st against New Orleans, August 4th against Phoenix, the 6th against Dallas, the 8th against Portland. It's the first back-to-back because you got Brooklyn coming up on the 9th, and then Denver on the 12th, OKC on the 14th. And for everyone that's talking about the schedule, oh, this schedule is easy, this schedule is hard. It really is just the remaining schedule for the most part for all these teams. You're just taking away the teams that did not get invited to Orlando. And for the, the Clippers, they were supposed to have the Nets a second time, the Pacers and the Kings, if you went by their next eight games, I believe it was. Instead, they get L.A., Portland, and OKC. So a little bit harder, but overall, I think the Clippers got to be okay with the schedule they have in front of them, right? Yeah, I think the most important thing is that the Clippers hold on to that number two seed. Not so much because home court advantage is any big thing. It's just that you don't want to fall back into that morass around the three to six because The idea here is to avoid the Lakers until the conference finals. I know the Clippers match up very well against the Lakers, and it's not like they fear any team in the Western Conference. It's just I think there's a demarcation line between the Lakers, Clippers, and then the rest of the Western Conference. So staying in that two seed, you know, getting an easier matchup in the first round, and then, again, avoiding that Staples Center series, which will not be taking place in Staples Center until the conference finals is best-case scenario. And the most important thing here is that – Three seed in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets, appears to have a much harder schedule than the Clippers. So holding on to that slot should be pretty 
easy to accomplish in Orlando. So is it safe to say the Clippers will probably end up as the two C when this is all said and done? Yeah, I would think so because I mean it's it's unlikely that they're going to leapfrog into number one just because they'd have to go what six games better than the Lakers over the eight game stretch, which yeah. I guess is plausible, but it's unlikely that they're going to go eight and zero and the Lakers are going to go two and six. So uh, yeah, I think I think two is the most likely outcome here, and I think it's reflective of how the Clippers played over the course of the entire regular season, which is kind of nice. You know what's going to be interesting interesting to see, Sabrina, is how the Clippers come out because they Mm -hmm. won seven of their final eight before the stoppage. You wonder how the team is going to look. Lou Williams apparently still 50-50 to play in this bubble, although I think it does Mm -hmm. help the announcement yesterday that players can have the message on the back of their jersey. I think that definitely does help. Uh, Lou Williams a little bit because I know he's very concerned about making sure that the message is not lost of Black Lives Matter and of course everything else going on right now so I think that does help but it will be interesting to see how they come out because you got to assume that minutes will be managed I've talked about this on the podcast the last several weeks that coming into a season like this you're going to have the three exhibition games but Mm -hmm. once you get into these games that start on the 30th I don't anticipate Guys like Kawhi, PG, and anyone for that matter, playing more than 27, 28 minutes? What about you? Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, the <laughs> it's so strange to me that the fact that they have these exhibition games against the teams that are staying in their hotel because how much do the Clippers really want to give away against the Lakers and the Bucks and the Raptors, yeah. you know, in exhibition games? And even, like, that first matchup of the eight city games against the Lakers, like, I don't think... Doc Rivers or Frank Vogel is going to throw out any like matchup specific matchups, you know, that are going to favor them in the playoffs because like, it's one thing during the regular season in March when, you know, you're not expecting to see a team in the playoffs until May, but it's quite another thing when you're this close to the postseason and you're playing one of your chief rivals for the conference title or an NBA title. I just, I don't think that any of the contenders are going to go balls out for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. in these seeding games or the exhibition games. So it only makes sense to just deepen the rotation as much as possible. And that really works for the Clippers because they have, you know, 11 players who deserve rotation minutes. It's not like they're severely diminishing their quality by going deeper into their bench. You bring up a couple of good points there. Uh, the first of which is giving stuff away and how much you actually try and play your cohesive basketball. The one that got you the seven wins in the final eight games before the stoppage. How do you get back to that level And frankly, it's probably not possible right away because, like I said, you want to make sure these guys stay healthy. The worst thing you can do is fire in PG and Kawhi for 35, 36 minutes and then get hurt in one of those Mm -hmm. eight games. So you got to think it's about fitness. But the real tough thing to figure out, Sabrina, is how do you balance getting these guys fit and getting back into that basketball rhythm that you had before the stoppage? I think what's cool about the way the Clippers have, you know, run their rotations over the course of the regular season is that, I mean, like Kawhi and PG weren't averaging that many minutes to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Kawhi was playing 32 minutes a game, I think. Um, PG was probably a little bit less than that, uh, just because of all the injuries he's had to suffer, you know, over the course of this regular season. Yeah, uh, PG was at 29 minutes per game this season. So uh, getting back into normal kind of works in this case because normal was already a very balanced minutes distribution and I also think the Clippers schedule kind of works in this favor because yeah you know maybe in those exhibition games against the other top eight teams and that first game against the Lakers you want to play things close to the vest 
But the rest of the schedule, that's a perfect opportunity. Those final seven games for the Clippers to actually try to get back into the swing of, you know, what they were doing when they were playing so well before the shutdown. Like, I'm not worried about giving things away against Phoenix or Portland or Brooklyn, you know, like that's, that's yeah. fine. Like, go, go ahead and play your best possible lineups in those games. And like we said, you know, the, the Clippers depth affords them the opportunity of getting back into a normal sort of rhythm without overtaxing their stars. Yeah. It feels like those first three games, the scrimmage ones will just be about fitness and yeah. kind of be more about, an all-star feel where these guys are mm-hmm. just going up and down the court, just kind of getting a feel for, frankly, the gyms in general, because these are different gyms and they're used to shooting at. It's, it's, a good point. it's very different being an open gym, or not an open gym rather, but an empty gym versus mm-hmm. one with fans. And I talked to Justin Wilson about this, LA Clippers film, and we were saying how it's so different when you have fans in the arena and playing a game in that atmosphere versus what the atmosphere is going to be like here because first it's just different second it's a different gym third of all you really have the reserves that feed off the fans and that's why the reserves normally do so well in home playoff games you're not going to have that in this situation so like you said to your second point earlier the bench really does seem to matter for the Clippers these are guys that are not hot and cold players Lou Williams Montrez Harrell Guys like that, Reggie Jackson, that are proven basketball players, they should feed off this environment. I think that's one advantage that I believe the Clippers will have in Orlando. Yeah, I think just like um, communication is going to be so weird because uh, like guys talk a lot on the basketball court. It's Mm -hmm. just we can never hear them because there's so many other things happening in an NBA arena that just distracts from that noise. And like selfishly, I'm just really excited to hear everything that's going to happen on the court. Like I, I assume some of it's going to be blocked out because the NBA is wary of too much profanity on their broadcasts and understandably so. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see how comfortable the guys are, like what volume they're willing to talk at considering the opposing team can hear everything they're trying to say. And it's not just the players that are on the court. Like, you know, you're, if you're playing against like the Denver Nuggets, like Mike Malone could literally just take notes on everything the Clippers are saying on the court because it's going to be that kind of environment. Um, but I mean, the, the bench thing is, is interesting about like, you know, bench players playing better at home versus on the road. I, I keep thinking back to last year's playoff series against the Golden State Warriors when the Clippers were so much better at Oracle than they were in Sable Center. Yeah. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Like Lou Williams was like all NBA talent in Oracle and then like fine in Staples Center. And it just brings it back to the point where, yeah, the Clippers, you know, bench players may play better at home versus on the road, but the guys who play on the bench for the Clippers, like they've been starters in real situations. And, you know, Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell are not normal bench players, right? They're perennial candidates for sixth man of the year. They're the cream of the crop. And Reggie Jackson has been deep in the postseason before with Oklahoma City Thunder. And, uh, you know, I think Jermichael Green has postseason experience with Memphis and with San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So, like, these are guys, sure, that you normally expect to play better at home than on the road, but it's a testament to how the team has built out its roster that they're not normal bench players, right? They're better than the average bench players, and you'd expect them to thrive in this kind of situation. And this is a team, like you said, that really is veteran-laden. These are guys that have been in this situation before, and it really does seem like they've taken this stoppage seriously. They have the win-the-weight mm-hmm. mentality. Balmer apparently sending gyms and basketball courts to every single player. I mean, I saw you mention that as well with Paul George, and he was on a podcast and discussed that. I really don't think there'll be any discipline in that situation. I mean, how could you possibly discipline 
an owner for making sure that his players are staying sharp to benefit your product. You know, that, that seems very bizarre to me is that he's trying to stay healthy, fit, and in shape to make sure that your product looks good on TV. I would assume there's gonna be no penalty at all. Do you agree? Oh yeah. I I don't think there's any way to really enforce that Mm -hmm. line, especially because uh, I believe either Doc Rivers or somebody else said that the Clippers had secured permission to send uh, fitness equipment Mm -hmm. to their players' houses because I mean, that happened like the week of the shutdown. They sent like Pelotons and just a whole mess of home gym equipment to each player on the team. And I think in collective bargaining agreement, it says you're not allowed to send anything beyond like, or you're not supposed to send anything to players that would theoretically be a violation of like their salary agreement because then you could, you know, sign a player to a lower number and then just give them a bunch of goodies and have that compensate, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So I'm, I'm not sure the Clippers aren't doing anything untoward. And even if they were like, like you said, it's, it's so minuscule, right? Like the fact that they sent a basketball hoop, which is worth, what, like a few hundred bucks to each player. Yeah. Um, it just, it struck me because I've read all of these stories about how, you know, players have found it so weird during the shutdown to not have basketball hoops. Like they literally just can't shoot. And it's, for some of them, it's the first time in their lives when they've ever been subject to this kind of situation. And here Paul George says, oh no, we, we have hoops. Like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Like that seems to put the Clippers a little bit ahead of the eight ball in terms of the other teams that are, in the situation. And frankly, a lot of these players aren't actually listening to some yeah. of the rules that are being put forth. I mean, you have oh, rumors of, <laughs> of the, the Lakers uh, gathering in some mansion and the whole team playing there. And then also JJ Redick even mentioned on his podcast that he's going to one of three different gyms and putting up shots and that it just depends on the day. And he actually went and saw somebody when he was going to play basketball, he entered the gym and apparently there was a kid that wanted to take a picture with him. And because it was obviously the situation that he's in where probably a bad idea to be sharing that on social media, he told the kid like, Hey, can't do that now. But when this is all over, like I'll do a private shooting session or something with you. So, and then he went on his merry way to obviously continue playing. So you have these guys that are clearly circumventing the rules here and making sure that they're able to get shots up, whether it's going to be at some park that may have a hoop up or it's some gym or they're gathering at some rich person's mansion and playing in what is apparently like a staple center size court. So I really think that most of these players should be okay when we start basketball up in Orlando. Yeah, I still think there's going to be some genuine rust. I mean, yeah. I know that the quality of play at the start of the season, like just based on the eye test, it seems like it's not as good as later in the season. But statistically, there's no real difference, you know, between how people look at the start of the season and how they look later on. And it's it's kind of different from a normal offseason because, you know, we're coming back with the same set of players, right? Like it was one thing in October when Paul George had literally done no training camp or no preseason and just shoving him onto a team that had so many new players, but these guys have all played together before. They've played successfully together before. And I imagine we're going to have a quicker, you know, return to normalcy than you might expect for this long of a layoff. I've asked this question to a couple of different guests over the last few weeks. I'm curious to get your take as well. PG and Kawhi, this long layoff, is it good for them or bad for them? I think it's definitely good because uh, they've been dealing with long-term injuries. Like Paul George said that he literally stopped doing shoulder rehab three weeks ago, which is insane to me that it's been a year since his surgery, surgeries, I should say. And he's just now at the point where he can focus solely on basketball activities and not rehabilitating 
So it has to be a plus because, like like we said, like Kawhi can't play back to backs, or he couldn't play back to backs before. Like there was a certain level of fitness that just they had not achieved, and we don't have to worry about that anymore. We can just worry about them focusing on basketball and getting this Clippers team to you know where it wants to be. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Kawhi plays in that game on the ninth against Brooklyn. Uh, although, oh yeah, I mean it's Brooklyn. Yeah, it's Brooklyn, and also, I mean, it just it just makes sense to give him those couple days off before what could be a pretty big game against Denver uh, mm-hmm. right afterwards. And that uh, the eight eight August eighth that start at ten a.m. Pacific time against Portland that is going to be very odd. I do not so think weird. the Clippers have played at ten a.m. Pacific time. In a long, long time, the only other time that I think I can remember, and it may have been 11 a.m., is a game probably on Super Bowl Sunday, where I think where they were at Boston, uh, where I saw a game that early on. You don't see it very often. I'll be curious to see how that really affects teams. Do you think it'll play a big role, or do you think they'll be there long enough where it won't matter? Well, like like you said, you know, it's it's in Orlando, so it is a one o'clock game, which is a more right reasonable start time. Um, it's gonna be weird for us. I don't remember them ever starting at 10 a.m. Like even just covering a game remotely mm-hmm. that early. And it's also strange that it's against Portland, which is another team that's used to this yep. schedule. But I guess that's a month in to when they'd be at Disney World because uh, training camps start like July 9th to 11th. So they they should be there long enough where it's not gonna be an issue. I mean, I don't envy the schedule makers for having to put everybody into two gyms, right? Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, 88 games that they have to schedule within these two weeks it's some some things are going to be weird and like the fact that there's a 10 a.m game on the front end of the back-to-back is kind of beneficial right because then the second game is more than 30 hours away from that so it's gonna be weird but it's weird for everybody so i don't think it's uh you know advantageous one way or the other yeah i'm glad they did that the 10 a.m start when they have the back-to-back because then they're the, actually i think they're the last either the last game or the second to last game the following day. So it makes a lot of Mm -hmm. sense. There's one thing that I brought up earlier and we didn't really touch on it much. And that's Lou Williams. Mm -hmm. So apparently he's 50, 50 to play. My gut says he's going to play. I just don't see how you get to this situation. If you're Lou Williams and you are this close to an NBA title. And I understand there are other things that are way more important than an NBA title, but it seems like these guys really work their entire careers to get to this point. And I think it would be a shame for him not to be a part of this team that he has been a huge part of the last several mm-hmm. years. What does your gut say about him playing or not playing in Orlando? It's it's so uh, – I, I can't pretend to have any sort of insight on yeah. what the Williams is thinking here. I mean, uh, I guess the, the positive here is that he, he doesn't seem to be worried about the health concerns mm-hmm. playing in Orlando, which, I mean, I would be. But mm-hmm. – uh, the fact that the NBA and the Players Association, every time they speak publicly, they make a particular point to emphasize the fact that the point of restarting the season is to create a platform to discuss the societal issues that have, you know, taken over the country over the last month. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, that they're allowing players to, you know, use the names of individuals who have been killed, like Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or even just Black Lives Matter on their jerseys, I think is really important just to keep that message visually there all the time. Uh, and, I mean, another thing that you said, like, Lou Williams, he, he kind of is this version of the Clippers, right? Yeah. That group of players that they got back in the Chris Paul trade, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell, they're the longest-tenured Clippers. They're the ones who have 
really created this new identity of what the Clippers are, that grit over glam, we over me, that everything that that starts with those three. And it would just feel so strange to have the Clippers without Lou Williams, like for an extended stretch of time, because I mean, he is them, right? Like he is this identity. He's the sixth man. He's, <laughs> I, I'm not making a lot of sense here, but like he just, he's the one I associate with the Clippers the most. I know like Kawhi and PG are obviously their best players, but right. those three guys are their identity, you know, their, their heart and soul. Uh, I think he's going to play um, just because like, I mean, I, I keep thinking back to when we were, I was watching Blackballed earlier this summer, you know, and uh, the Clippers had an opportunity to boycott that game because of Donald Sterling and they chose to play because, you know, basketball is a big part of their lives too, right? Like it's, yeah, uh, it's, it, they're, they're not independent, right? Like you can't just give away something you've worked your whole life towards. Uh, and I think Lou Williams will figure out a way to keep the appropriate amount of focus on combating systemic racism and improving hiring practices in the NBA and, you know, all of the issues that are genuinely very important. Um, because I, I, I just think it'd be so weird not to see him there. You know, he's he's Mr. Clipper at this point. Yeah, no, it's an interesting comparison with Sterling because it's obviously very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, Don Sterling was canned as owner of the Clippers because he was a racist. And mm-hmm. we are in a time now where racism is at the forefront. And so it really is a situation where you could have easily not played if you were the Clippers. And it did get to that point where they almost did not play that game, but they thought it'd be better to play and they could wear the shirts like they did and draw attention that way. And I think it makes a lot of sense when you see a guy like LeBron James and how adamant he is to playing, because frankly, he doesn't need the money that these games are going to give him. You know, no, he does not. I mean, he, he, he doesn't really need the title. He sure he has a couple titles, and sure, it would help his legacy if he wins another. And I'm sure he'd like to win one as a Laker. But he doesn't need these games. But he thinks that this is a platform where he can advance the message. And if he is going to go out and be as adamant as he is, I think that would mean that Lou Williams would come along. We'll obviously see. I would not blame him for his decision either way. It would right. hurt as a Clippers fan to see him not on the court when the Clippers are there on July 30th against the Lakers. Uh, the Clippers do have Reggie Jackson, and it really was great seeing Lou Williams off the ball when Reggie became more accustomed to the way the Clippers play. It allowed Lou to be off the ball himself and go and just be the Lou that we know as opposed to being the ball handler in the second unit and doing too much and being gassed and not being the guy that the Clippers want to see on the court. So I really don't blame him either way, but I'd like to see him on the court, of course. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I don't think there's a wrong way to approach this decision, right? Like, I've been tracking the WNBA, and, like, literally there's a pair of sisters on the Sparks who came to opposite conclusions, where one of them is going to play, and the other one has decided that it's just not the right situation in terms of everything that's going on societally. And, like, I 100% support Lou Williams if he came to that decision. Uh, I just, you know, the rest of the Clippers seem to be of the opinion that their platform is best suited, you know, like the the platform that the NBA provides can magnify their voices in a way that just wouldn't be possible if they were sitting out. So my instinct is that he's going to play, but you know, it could work in either direction. You mentioned Ogumake. Uh, cu- curious on that one. I, w- I want to touch on that really quickly. Why is it that one is playing and one isn't? Have they come out and said why, um, why one is, one isn't? Cause you would think they'd be on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so Neko Ogumake is the president of the, uh, 
WNBA Players Association. So you'd have to assume that if the players and the league came to an agreement to have a season that the president of the PA would decide to play. Mm -hmm. And that is the case. She is going to be playing for the Sparks this summer. Um, But Shania Gumke, uh, she is a little more public-facing than NECA has been. Um, She's an analyst on ESPN. She has spoken quite passionately and, you know, really impressively about the issues of systemic racism and promoting the, you know, black women, you know, because such a big deal has been made about George Floyd. She wants to make sure that people still remember the black women who have suffered in this movement. Um, so she has come to the decision that she doesn't want to play. Uh, she also cited her health as part of that because she's suffered two season-ending injuries in the course of her WNBA career. And I guess, you know, people are worried about the long layoff leading into this season. Uh, that doesn't seem to me like as big of an issue for WNBA players because they play such weird calendars anyway. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's, you know, had like a, microfracture knee surgery and suffered a torn Achilles, any sort of change to the normal schedule would be concerning, I guess, because you just, you can't risk your body like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. And there's obviously the health of these players in this long layoff for the NBA. And there's obviously the health with the coronavirus. And mm-hmm. I, I want to give my take quickly on the bubble. And then I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree with me. The mm-hmm. bubble obviously is a very risky thing that they're doing. They're basically saying that we're going to go ahead and play sports. And right now in this situation, I don't know what else you could do besides sit at home and just hope that it goes away, which it's not going to obviously without a vaccine. And so with this bubble, we just saw that 16 players tested positive in the most recent round of testing. Let's keep in mind that I think there were about 300 tests tests conducted. The Premier League, I believe, had I want to say I don't know if I don't know the number correctly. I want to say it was either a thousand or ten thousand tests. Obviously, a big difference before mm-hmm. they got to that number of 16 positive. So what I'm getting at is that these guys are out and about. They're at home and they're clearly going somewhere. And what happens is when you get this virus, you're most likely going to pass it on, whether it's someone in your household or you're out and about, you're going to pass it on to somebody else. If you're in a bar, you're going to go and give it to somebody else. So my take on this is that more than likely, you'll probably see very few cases in this bubble because these players are being told to isolate for, I believe, two days once they get there. Then they have to Mm -hmm. get the negative tests and they have to stay in the bubble. And you are keeping a large population safer Because these guys are away from them. And the way I'm saying that is because it's not going to be carried on step by step by step and continuing to be passed on. If you get where I'm getting to, it's that you have these 16 guys that are isolated, or rather the 16 tests. These players are isolated in the bubble where they can't give it to anybody else in their communities. Instead, it's just these guys that are in Orlando playing basketball. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, in a way, like, the the players are kind of being uh, separated from the rest of the community at large. Right, right, right. Yeah. exactly. And, and they're not able to pass it to somebody else. Whereas mm-hmm. if they were not in this bubble, they would be passing it on. So I think they're safer in the bubble and the larger community in general is safer with these guys in the bubble is my take. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the the message that Adam Silver tried to, you know, give out last week when he talked to the media about like he thinks the players are going to be safer in the bubble just compared to how they've been living their lives, you know, over the last three months. And I I think there's some validity to that. Uh, 
the the thing that just keeps getting back to me is that they will have contact with all of the Disney cast members. And yeah, maybe it's not like it's going to be socially distanced contact and they're going to be, you know, coming in to clean their rooms when the players are not present, all of those sorts of things. Florida is just, you know, not handled the virus well at all. Right, and right. as the cases continue to rise in that state and in Orange County, you know, where the Walt Disney World Park is, uh, I just worry about that, you know, outside contact. Because the idea of a bubble makes perfect sense to me, you know, that you would take all these players, make sure they were healthy before coming to Orlando, and then separate them from the outside world. Like, that's that's the way you have to do it. And I think the protocols make a lot of sense. It's just, you know, there are these punctures with the the Disney employees that keep coming in and, uh, you know, they said that they were going to try to increase testing for those employees when previously it was said that they weren't going to be tested, just temperature screened. So I, I think it's about as safe as they could hope for. I mean, obviously it's going to be restrictive on the players and just in terms of their movements, like they legitimately can't go anywhere for three months, even if for two months, even if they are, you know, being provided with just a fantastic set of amenities, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think the NBA has done a good job of creating as secure and safe of a system as possible. Um, but, you know, all it takes is just, like, one person to screw it up. And then, you know, maybe we're looking at a few players testing positive at really op- inopportune situation. Yeah, exactly. And you bring up the Disney cast members. And I've talked about this recently that it just doesn't make sense that these cast members are going home and then coming back. I, I, mm-hmm. I floated the idea that these people work three or four days at a time. They stay in a hotel and they are on the shift for their normal eight hours. They stay at the hotel. I know obviously it sucks to be away from friends and family for that long, but it's just a couple of days and then you go home for a couple of days and then you come back and you do it where you test them before they come back. And I know it's it doesn't make sense bringing them back and forth, but at the same time, it's better to have them there for a longer stretch of time, whereas bring them back and forth every single day, you do risk the virus spreading. And that that is my biggest concern, honestly, is the employees that more than likely you're not going to get close contact, like you said, because you're going to have the, uh, the dinners being served, and I'm sure they'll make sure that all the trays are sanitized. And Mm -hmm. so they're going to do whatever they can to make sure it's safe. But I think that is the biggest concern. And then you have the families that come in after round one and you wonder if that will be an issue. So I guess I'm a little too optimistic. I really do think the Mm -hmm. bubble will work. Overall, do you think the bubble works? Do you think we actually get this full season in? Oof. Um, Yeah, I've been talking about this a lot actually on my own podcast too, but uh, I I think it's going to work. Uh, I think it's going to be something we look back on and like as just a very weird moment in history and uh, just like what a strange way it was that we had to crown the 2020 champion. But I I think the players take this very seriously. Um, I don't think anyone is going to want to be that guy that screws it up for the rest of, you know, the league. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course we have that snitch hotline to protect against that. But yeah, my, my gut says if they get to Orlando, it's going to work. But there's also part of me that says it's just going to get out of control before they can even get there and they're going to scrap the whole thing. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, obviously, Florida is for everyone's not following Florida. I think it was yesterday they reported about 9,500 cases, which is a lot. I mean, you could say, okay, well, look at the hospitalizations and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, the amount of people that now have it and tested positive means a greater chance for it to go to these NBA players 
which means a greater chance for them to pass it on to their coaches and then after round one, their families. So it does become a dicey situation. But, right, and we don't even know the long-term effects of this virus yet. Like exactly. Rudy Gobert was saying that he doesn't even have his sense of smell back, or was it taste, one or the other? It was smell. But I was like, just reading that today as well, that he, has, yeah. he can smell from close range, but not from further away. Right, and we know that he tested positive over three months ago. Mm-hmm. So even if these guys are in peak health and you know physical performance, they're still lingering effects, and that's that's a legitimately scary thought. Yeah, I I don't know what else the it's so weird, you know, Sabrina, like what is the alternative? Because the way we're going right now, I don't think it's safe to say there's going to be a season next year, you know, because it's mm-hmm. much easier to play eight games in a bubble and play a pl- do the playoffs versus an 82 game season where you're going back and forth to teams arenas and I don't think you can play 82 games in a bubble that's just not going to happen. Absolutely. So yeah. so I just think it's easier to get this season done with and then worry about next season. I just don't think you can say, all right, let's scrap this season. And then possibly if there's no vaccine, they are, they're optimistic, obviously, that'll be at the end of the year. But that's still, it's, that's the initial vaccine. Who knows what the side effects are going to be. And I don't think you got, you're going to have people test or taking it right away if there are side effects. We can go into January, February, March, and there still might not be a season, you know. So it just feels like they found a way to do this as safely as possible and finish this season and then kind of worry about next season when you have the opportunity. Yeah, I think that's that's the most important point. It's just that we have no idea what 2020-21 is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So if they have a chance to get this year done, you know, and recoup some of the money that they've lost and are going to lose in the future, then they're going full steam ahead here. And at least they're taking it very, very seriously because this is a hell of a comprehensive plan. And it. You know, it's been what like approved by medical experts from around the country. I think everyone's very impressed with how diligent the NBA has been with its safety protocols. So, I I hope it works. Uh, it's just if it were any other state, maybe I'd have more confidence. But yeah, uh, it's where we are. Yeah, I feel you. It's Florida is kind of a cluster right now, but I guess you yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, before we let you go, a little bit about you. You are now a writer at SB Nation. You have been since 2018. Uh, what was kind of your path to get where you are right now? And uh, tell us where we can find you, your podcast, your Instagram, your Twitter handle, your writing, all that kind of stuff. But first, let's talk yeah. about your background. Absolutely. So uh, I've always been you know, super into the NBA growing up in L.A. Like, it's sort of inevitable. Um, and I went to Duke, and I wrote for the school paper there. Um, but it sort of took me a while to get – from that point into being a sports writer just because writing for a newspaper is a little different of a gig than what I do now. Um, but yeah, I started at SB Nation freelancing. I uh, worked for a lot of other places like Dime and Freelance for the Athletic and a little bit for Sports Illustrated um, until getting this full-time gig here. So it's been a process, but, uh, and then of course, you know, getting my full-time job a month before the entire world shut down was strange. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, here we are, and uh, I selfishly admit that I really want there to be a season so I can have something to do, you know, for the next few months. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool, you know, to have an opportunity to cover the Clippers and, you know, the rest of these California teams as we embark on this truly strange and 
unprecedented once in a generation type of season, you know. Have you been a Clippers fan for a while growing up in LA or were you a Lakers fan and then started writing for the Clippers and so drifted that way? Yeah, I was I was a Lakers fan. Um, Clippers are sort of always my secondary team. I was big, uh, you know, Darius Miles, yep. Odom, Glenn Richardson, that sort of group. And yep, that's I mean, my honestly, team. It was just easier to go to Clippers games from a financial perspective. Uh, so that kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, then I got this opportunity to write for the Clippers and it's been great. And where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at Sabrina JM. And uh, that's just the hub for all of my work. Like everything I write or podcast about, you'll find there. Awesome. And then you are going to be writing for SB Nation. And hopefully we'll see a lot of new content over the next several weeks as we get into the season. And obviously once we continue the season. Sabrina, it's been great to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time here. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sabrina Merchant. Great to chat about basketball. And now we finally have a date and games that we will see the Clippers play. July 30th is when it starts. Clippers, Lakers. I'm excited about that one. Sabrina Merchant already gave out her Twitter handle, but I'll give it one more time. It's Sabrina A or Sabrina JM. So it's S-A-B-R-E-E-N-A-J-M. M, and that's where you can find Sabrina Merchant, and she posts her stuff from SB Nation. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget, you can always follow the Clippers at Hoopball Clips is where you see our podcast. You can follow me at BD Marcus. That's at BD Marcus. Hit me up. Tell me who you want to see on this podcast. Also, if you have a chance, please iTunes. If you can rate and review the podcast, it would be great. Leave us that five-star rating and also leave a review as well. It does help the podcast grow here at HoopBall. So until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.